Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Pete Waltz. Well, this week, we continue our focus on the biggest issues affecting businesses and organizations globally with the spread of COVID-19. And along with bringing you updates and critical information happening in countries all around the world, we're always fortunate to have the chance to dial in our local ELA lawyers. These folks are practicing on the ground in those jurisdictions, working daily to help their local clients move through these difficult times. Since the outbreak, we've been getting updates from ELA colleagues across the globe, initially from China, then Italy, Korea, all across Asia, Europe, Latin America, back to the US. And today, we're going back across the pond to talk to our friends in London and discuss the current situation in the UK. Also, this week, the ELA is launching a new white paper called COVID-19 Europe Guide for Employees. You can download that from our publications tab on the ELA website at ela.law. One of the authors of that paper is with us today. Joining us by cell phone is Richard Yeomans, partner at Adelshaw Goddard, our member firm in England. Richard's calling from home on his cell phone, where hopefully he can shed some light on the business and how it's being impacted in this country, some of the recent legislation, government directives, all the things that are going on in the UK. Richard, welcome to the program. I hope you're safe and yours as well. Thank you, Peter. So, Richard, let's jump into it. What's the update from the UK? Well, the UK is currently in lockdown. Since the 23rd of March, uh, the government closed the schools, ordered all the pubs, restaurants, gyms, shops, selling non-essential goods to close, and social venues have closed, and people have been asked to stay at home. Practically, that means you can only leave your house for very limited reasons, essential shopping, one form of daily exercise, dog walking, or sort of medical need, and also to travel to and from work, but only if it's absolutely necessary and you can't work from home. So there's no strict requirement for offices to shut, but the government has given a strong recommendation that working from home means practically most employers are doing just that wherever it is possible. And so the majority of the UK workforce is working from home, which sets a unique set of challenges for employers and employees. Those businesses that do remain open have brought in stringent social distancing measures. For example, the supermarkets have a limited number of people who can be in the shop. People have to be two meters apart. There's sort of hand sanitizers, plastic barriers, etc. And at the same time, there's been huge repercussions throughout the economy for businesses. So whilst the supermarkets and some online retailers are seeing an increase in business, the pandemic is having a big impact on other sectors in a negative way. Transport is an example. British Airways announced 12,000 redundancies. That's one in four potentially to lose their jobs. The retail sector was already under strain and a number of well-known names are going into insolvency. And hospitality is the other sector which has been very hard hit and is likely to have the longest road to get back to any sense of normality. So overall, it's had a big impact, COVID-19, a big impact on life and business in the UK. Some have suggested that the government has been surprised at the level of compliance. There's been no significant protests about the lockdown. And actually, opinion polls suggest that most people would prefer the lockdown to continue rather than run the risk of a second wave of COVID infections. And on that subject, the number of infections and deaths is leveling off. To coin a phrase, we are flattening the curve. But total recorded deaths in the UK is currently about 28,000. And sadly, that puts us behind only the US and Italy. 
and it looks like we will soon overtake Italy on the number of deaths. So it sounds like, you know, obviously business and life have been dramatically impacted, but what has the UK government done in terms of support measures? Well, the government's introduced a fairly radical and comprehensive programme. Initially, there was a £12 billion package of emergency support announced in early March before COVID really took hold in the UK. That's been followed by $330 billion worth of government-backed loans and more than $20 billion in tax cuts and grants for companies threatened with collapse because of the pandemic. For employers, most significantly, the government's introduced its job retention scheme under which it pays 80% of wages for furloughed workers. In other words, employees who are sent home with no work because of the pandemic. And it's a a wide-ranging scheme. It's open to all UK businesses. Whilst it was announced in mid-March, it's been backdated to the 1st of March. It was initially to run for three months. Even that's now been extended until the end of June. And the government has also set up a similar scheme for the self-employed, so fairly radical measures. So how does this work and and have employers started to take it up? What's the level of uptake you're seeing? Oh, certainly. I mean, employers, first of all, need to designate furloughed workers and tell them that that's what they are. They then submit certain information to our tax authority, HMRC, about the furloughed workers and their earnings, and that's through an online portal. The government then reimburses that 80% of wages up to a cap of 2500 a month. And that grant will also cover things like employers' social security contributions and minimum pension contributions. The scheme doesn't require employers to make up the shortfall in payment, but they can consider doing that. If they don't make up the shortfall, then they need to check whether they're allowed under the employment contract to cut pay. Most employers don't have that right, and so they'll need employee consent. But in practice, we're finding that employees are agreeing to reduced pay when they're on furlough. In short, they recognise this is a crisis and they'd rather have reduced pay than be made redundant. And so during this furlough period, the furloughed worker remains on payroll. It's very important they don't do any work for the employer. They can do some volunteering and training, but no valuable work. And to be able to claim, the employee must be placed on furlough for at least three weeks. So the scheme seems to be designed not to be overcomplicated. The online system actually is quite straightforward. And to your point, in terms of uptake, it's been incredibly high. The government estimates that two-thirds of employers have furloughed nine million employees under the scheme. Wow, that is significant. Well, how feasible is this scheme going to be? Obviously, it's working now, but what's the impact on this long term? Can it sustain itself? Well, I think the scheme was an important and swift reaction to an urgent problem to avoid mass redundancies due to COVID. But the cost for those first three months is estimated to be £40 billion, covering those 9 million employees I just mentioned. And with those figures being far higher than the Treasury originally estimated. So the scheme is certainly helping a lot of employees. But even so, it's not a natural fit, the scheme, for some businesses. Many businesses still need employees to perform some work. And the scheme is quite inflexible. It says that the employee must do no work at all. So those employers may find that furlough doesn't quite work for them and they have to choose between workers so that some are sent on furlough, some are brought into the office. That can then cause some friction as people argue about why they've been selected for furlough 
rather than being allowed to continue working. Another option that can be fairer is to rotate staff. So perhaps have someone on furlough for three weeks and then swap them in with someone who's been working. So that will work with some groups where the staff are interchangeable. But again, that won't always work. Sometimes you need a particular employee to carry out the work on reduced hours. And the furlough scheme doesn't really work for that. Given the cost of the scheme, I think we have to question how long it can continue. The 40 billion I mentioned for the first three months is equivalent to the entire UK education budget for a year. On the other hand, the government's recognised that if it does need to give support to businesses or they will go under, and therefore long term, if businesses go under, that's a loss of income and a loss of tax revenue. So cutting the scheme short early could be a false economy. Well, then let's talk about going back to work, which I know, again, we're still growing and the virus is still uncertain, but a lot of our jurisdictions are making return to work plans. So are employers in the UK starting to think about a return to work plan? And if so, what's that going to look like? Well, yes, they are. And with a number of countries such as Italy, France and Germany announcing their plans to lift the lockdown in recent days, the anticipation is building in the UK as to what our exit strategy will look like. Um, We are to some extent behind the curve because COVID hit the UK slightly later and we went into lockdown after other countries. So our government is keen to learn what's working in other countries as they ease their restrictions. And it's in that context that UK employers are starting to think about what a return will look like. So far, the government has not announced its plans. There's talk of a gradual return process. Our Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, nearly died from COVID. In his own words, it was touch and go as he was treated in intensive care. And so some say that experience has reinforced our government's cautious approach at this stage. The government's indicated it will issue guidance shortly to businesses. And I think we can expect a number of measures. It's likely that certain categories of businesses and employees will return earlier than others. I think employers will have to look at social distancing in the workplace. And that might mean rotational working where that's practicable. There's also a challenge around social distancing for those commuting on public transport, particularly in big cities. And for that reason, I think we can expect that for white collar workers, the message will be that they should continue working from home if they possibly can, thereby freeing up space on public transport for those who can't work from home. It's also in this context that the government has indicated that it will encourage employers to arrange staggered start and finish times for staff to try and avoid rush hour peaks in commuting. And there will of course be health and safety obligations to consider to oversee social distancing, workplace sanitation, and whether changes need to be made to the way in which meetings and common areas are managed. And there's an ongoing debate in the UK about the use of face masks. Our health service itself is struggling to maintain its own supplies. And that might be a factor which is holding the government back from requiring the general use of face masks in the public. But we may see that this is a requirement, I think, for those using public transport. And there's also privacy and data protection issues. For example, if employers wish to test the temperature of employees before they come into the office, they're going to have to be careful in how they handle that sensitive medical information. So there are lots of questions to consider, and we don't have all the answers. But I think what's clear is that things are not going to return to normal in the short to medium term. And employers are going to have to be preactive in preparing for a phased easing of lockdown restrictions. 
Well, let's talk about those employers that are bringing workers back. What happens if employers don't see work picking up or in the situation where they just can't afford to take employees back at the end of the furlough period? Are there restrictions from laying off furloughed staff? No, actually, they're not. There's no restriction on on laying people off. And that's different to similar schemes in some other countries. So you can actually make people redundant during the furlough period or at the end of the furlough period. You would then have to consider the usual principles about carrying out a fair process and consulting with employees before you actually affected the redundancies. Well, let's just talk about kind of the future now, Richard. What's next for employers in the UK? And and do we think the COVID experience is going to have a long-lasting impact? What's your thought there? Well, I think it's unlikely there will be a return to business as normal anytime soon. Aside from the broader economic impact, I think we might find that the COVID experience creates the tension and a crossroads in the labour market. On the one hand, we have businesses facing an urgent need to cut costs, drive efficiencies, and that points to an increasingly flexible workforce. For example, more use of zero hours contracts, which give employees no guarantee of any paid work, or perhaps amending employment terms so that employers can reduce hours and pay when they need to. But on the other hand, I can see employees pushing for job and income security, given their own COVID experience. I can also envisage many employees pushing for more flexible working arrangements on a permanent basis. The logic being that they've proved that flexible and remote working has been effective during the lockdown. And I think we'll see those employers who insist on traditional working practices having difficulty in resisting those demands for flexible working. But I don't think it will all be conflict. For example, I expect that the COVID experience will also lead to many employers and employees agreeing changes to working arrangements. For example, some employers may embrace demands for flexible and remote working as they recognize the opportunity to reduce office space and associated costs. Overall, I think tensions on employment rights will doubtless become a political issue. There's a long-standing agenda across the main political parties in the UK to cut down on zero hours contracts and regularize the treatment of atypical workers. In other words, give them fuller employment rights. If the government does continue with such reforms, its challenge will be to do that in a way that doesn't impose higher burdens and costs on employers who are already struggling to recover from the COVID crisis. Well, lots of interesting lessons learned there, Richard. And again, as always, thank you for your updates. We'll continue to check back with you on things in the UK. I hope you and yours are staying safe. Thank you. If you'd like to connect with Richard Yeomans from Adelshaw Goddard, our member firm in England, or any of our lawyers around the globe, just search for them on the ELA website at ela.law. Just go to the big Find a Lawyer widget in the center of the page, click on the drop-down box. There you can reach out to any of our lawyers directly by email or cell phone. Also, if you'd like to receive information on upcoming webinars, download white papers, get access to our on-demand library, or access the ELA Global Employer Handbook, sign up on the website. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Pete Waltz. Thanks for listening.